0: Welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Calcio Podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening this is our Fiorentina review episode. I am joined by a guest to help me out with this review. He's certainly no stranger to the podcast. Daniel Bowen, welcome back.
1: Hey, Joe. How's it going, brother? Thanks for having me again.
0: Not bad. Thank you. Uh, thank you for coming back on. So, as always, there is a lot to talk about. Napoli won 2-1 to on goals by Lorenzo Insigne and Amir Rachmani. It was another rimonta comeback win with Lucas Martinez-Quarta scoring for Fiorentina to open the scoring. It was an exciting match, it was an intense match, it was a match that featured two of the brightest stars in Serie A, but once again all of that was tarnished by the latest incident of fan racism in Serie A. I want to start with that because unfortunately that is the most important story from this match. If you haven't already heard one or possibly multiple Fiorentina fans, I'm not exactly sure how many hurled racist comments at Kalidou Koulibaly. There have been reports that comments were made to Victor Osman and Frank and as well. Dan, you were at the Frankie to take in this match. Were you close enough to hear the chance? And if not, could you see that something was going on after the match?
1: Well, I'll be honest with you, Joe, I was sitting in the home section and I was wearing all my Napoli gear. And Matt uh, might not have been the smartest thing to do, but I was the only guy I saw anywhere anywhere in town or in the stadium that wasn't in the visitor section that was wearing his Napoli gear. And uh, one guy came up to me from Napoli and said, dude, you're crazy. You know that uh, you're going to get jumped after the game. And I looked back at him and I thought about it. And then I just continued to try to enjoy the game. (laughs) I went off to the side and sat away from everybody. So I basically had like a whole section to myself. And then um, soon after that, I would say a handful of Napoli fans gathered around me, but none of them were wearing Napoli gear. The guy that was talking to me that's from Napoli, you know, I asked him, hey, you know, I've been in other away stadiums. Why is it such a deal here? And, um, you know, he mentioned that there's a problem in Florence with just general racism and, you know, that that's basically what it is. It's not just about me being an Napoli fan. It's just about me being somebody that's, that's not in the same environment as them. And so anyway, um, I continued to watch the game. I had a steward or two tell me, yeah, hey, you got another shirt you can wear. And so I behaved <laughs> luckily. So I think it might've, you know, turned out to be a little bit different if I didn't behave, but um as the game was growing on and uh, just seeing that the, the tensions were getting higher and higher and uh, some of the chants that were going on, I was a little bit concerned for my safety. So I just decided to leave in the 85th minute to get out of the stadium, away from the crowd, and onto my car. I didn't know about the chants because I wasn't there, but it's nothing new, as you know, for, for people of color in general and we all know about Bali and and how much he's been direct how much of that has been directed toward him so i was not surprised with his reaction and his frustrations and you know it's it's something honestly that's you know very depressing especially just because it's a sporting event and why do you need to go to to do that kind of stuff so in a way i'm glad i wasn't there because if i was there i, I probably would have had some type of reaction, and that couldn't have turned out very good. But um, the league, Europe in general, UEFA, FIDGC, everybody that's involved that can actually make some type of difference, they need to figure something out, man. Because um, this stuff is it's absolutely unacceptable. It's depressing, to be honest. And they need to figure something out.
0: Yeah, well, first of all, I'm happy to hear that you got out of there safely. I think that was... Maybe not, as you said, the wisest decision to go fully uh, decked out in your Napoli gear sitting in the home section, but definitely a wise decision to get out of there early. I'm not sure how much you've read about the story uh, you know, today, but let me fill you and the listeners in for those who haven't been following it that closely. It was definitely the story that dominated the headlines and rightfully so. And that's why I'm starting the podcast with it, because in situations like this, human dignity comes way before football and credit to Koulibaly for calling it out he made sure to bring it up which is important because had he not nobody would be talking about it and these incidents would just continue to go unpunished and not that I'm saying that this will suddenly stop it I'm not that naive but you know it's gotten people talking and and hopefully there will be something done about it Victor Osman posted on Twitter saying, speak to your kids, your parents, make them understand how disgusting it is to hate an individual because of the color of his skin. And Gisa said, you can call me a monkey. This won't affect the man that I am. A number of players posted on social media in support of Koulibaly, both teammates and, you know, other players. The president of the Players Association, Umberto Calcagno, issued a statement as well. And the Fiji Chi has opened an investigation, which, if I'm being honest, I'm not terribly hopeful about these incidents keep happening. And the Fiji Chi keeps opening investigations. So clearly that's not enough to stop them from continuing to happen. If anything the clubs are doing more than the league is the last big story involving racist fans was in the fourth round at the Juventus Milan match where Milan goalkeeper Mike Maignan was warming up near the goal line and a racist UVFN fan went down into the front row and actually recorded himself making racist comments of the goalkeeper and then he had the audacity to post that video on social media so Given the nature of that incident, that individual was quite easy to identify and credit to Juve. They actually banned him for life from attending Juventus matches. This situation is a little bit different because the comments came from within the crowd. And as my friend Trevor Steins put it in a piece that he wrote for Viola Nation, in a crowd, people feel invisible and invincible. And Fiorentina have given the police access to their camera footage But we've already seen reports that the technology is outdated and that the police will also rely on social media. So that doesn't give me a whole lot of confidence that these individuals will be identified. Then if they are not able to identify them, do you think the club should be punished, say, by having to play behind closed doors?
1: At a minimum, Joe, Um, I know that that's happened before. It happened with Inter when they had those chants directed towards Cooley Bali. I think that was in, what, 2018 maybe? And I know that Inter had to play at least one game behind closed doors, but I'll be honest with you, man, that, that ain't going to do nothing. It's not going to do anything. Until the club actually feels the punishment with a point reduction, this will continue. Closing the door for a game, two games, whatever, closing the gates and playing in an empty stadium that is not going to keep the ignorance out of the stadium the next time it's open. And even if they figure out who it is and they identify them and, you know, they ban them for life and stuff, that's still not going to do it. That's not going to be enough, man. Until the club actually feels it for real, it's going to continue. And, you know, I'm glad that there are some players that are speaking up, but You know, as we know, there's been instances in the past where players don't support it enough the way that they need to. And when I'm talking about that, I'm talking about players that aren't of color. So I know Donnarumma said something, but if you remember when racist comments were made towards Moise Keen of Juve, And Bonucci had that comment where he said, well, 50-50, you know, it was partly his fault too because he was egging them on. There's the problem. There's the problem. The problem are the people like Bonucci, who everybody looks up to in that city, say crap like that and then try to backtrack it afterwards. So it's the players that can actually make a difference that aren't really making the difference. And then it's the league that needs to actually apply a point reduction until a point reduction is done. Nothing's going to change, man. That's just my opinion. I mean, I know that it's, it's something that a lot of people probably believe is really difficult, but this is a difficult thing to fix. So make the call and do something that's going to make a difference.
0: I agree completely. I think the league needs to make a statement. There needs to be a punishment that maybe is even too harsh. If we're talking about games behind closed doors, make it for 10 games, make it for the rest of the season. Like something that's, that's really going to make a statement. And to your point, that may not even be enough to stop it because we just had how long without fans in the stadiums, they finally get to come back in a limited capacity. And we still have this garbage happening I know it sounds a bit harsh because most fans are not racist, but the only way to deter people from acting this way is to hit them where it hurts. And if they don't catch these individuals because of outdated technology, then maybe the league needs to mandate that clubs have up-to-date technology in their stadiums. That should be the case anyways. I mean, for the safety and security of the fans, you should have cameras that can actually identify people, not whatever age-old technology is at the Frankie, and I'm sure at many other stadiums, maybe even at the Maradona. If the individuals are caught, then, you know, maybe they should get more than just a lifetime ban from attending matches. Maybe they should be fined or I'll throw them in jail for a year. Again, something that is going to make people think twice about doing these disgusting things at matches. And the other thing is that I think fans need to take a bit more accountability as well. If you're sitting next to someone that's yelling this stuff out, and I know, you know, in that type of environment, everyone's Mm -hmm. thinking of their own safety, but you should be able to identify these people to yeah. the authorities. And of course, there needs to be a safe way to do that. So, again, people are not discouraged from doing that. That's largely what Trevor's piece was about that the fans need to start being okay. part of the solution. And we can't expect any change if we always downplay these incidents. To your point about Bonucci's comments with the Moise Kane incident, you know, if people are going to just always say, well, you know, it's only a couple of bad people, we're not all like that. You're not really addressing the issue as as Trevor noted in his piece, the focus on the radio and in the papers on Monday in Firenze seemed to be more on protecting the reputation of the club and of the city, but that doesn't help the situation. And, and Trevor had a great quote in his article from Martin Luther King, who once said, In the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. The last thing I want to mention before we move on to the game itself is the statement that Fiorentina released. I'll read it out. It said Fiorentina expresses the most firm and harsh condemnation of the racist episodes that took place yesterday during the match against Napoli. After the match, general manager Barona apologized on behalf of the club to the host club and to the players of the shameful and intolerable chants. La Viola has already made available to the police, all the videos and all the tools in its possession. So culprits of these unspeakable chants are identified. Once the responsible institutions have identified the culprits, it will be Fiorentina's responsibility to prohibit them from accessing the stadium, hoping the same commitments from all other clubs, as well as the application of the rules that must always be the same for everyone. We were surprised, in fact, that in situations like Atalanta Fiorentina, there was not the same timeliness and attention to what was equally shameful towards a viola player. President Comiso and ACF Fiorentina have been fighting for some time and have been committed to fight against racism and all forms of discrimination. So, you know, it was a good statement. The only thing I didn't like about the statement was that they made it a little bit about themselves there. I agree more should have been done about the comments that Atalanta fans made to Dusan Vlahovic in their match. That's what the statement was referencing there. But I felt like bringing it up in this statement made it seem like they were getting a little bit defensive. Perhaps it was kind of like, well, you know, it happened to us too, which doesn't make any of this any better. It's just worse actually. So of course we'll track that story and I'll provide any updates as they come on future episodes. It's really unfortunate that all this happened though, because the match itself should have been the story. So I do still want to cover that. And I Mm -hmm. hope people don't interpret that to mean that I'm downplaying this incident, but This is a football podcast and there was a match that up until we learned about this incident was actually a really entertaining match. I'm not going to spend too much time on the lineups because both sides basically started the lineups we were expecting them to. There were a few changes at the back with Fiorentina, but we know that Vincenzo Italiano likes to rotate his players, so that wasn't too shocking. The only surprise for me was that Eric Pulgar started over Lucas Torreira in the midfield. But I want to start with one of the big stories that... We had heading into this match, which was the fact that two of the brightest stars in Serbia would be going head to head. Then I'll give you an easy question to start: Who would you say won the battle between Viktor Osiman and Dušan Vlahović?
1: Easy question. You know, Vlahović had an assist. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, I mean, they both played good. Vlahović was getting involved quite a bit, but man, they could not handle Osiman. Ozzyman was all over the pitch. He was constantly threatening. He actually had an assist that almost didn't put away, to be honest. And, you know, he is really starting to come into form. It's not only somebody that can score, but somebody that is going to dominate the, the opposition's attention, which frees up everybody else. Even though he didn't score or get an actual assist, it's not like far-fetched for somebody to tab him as man of the match. Yeah, i say Oseman just, just barely is above him, but Volovich had a good game too. So you've had a chance to see
0: Victor play live, I think a couple of times now. I imagine he looks even quicker in
1: person than he does on TV. <sighs> yes. I would say probably a handful of times. I feel like this is the time he's going to get to that ball Cause he looks like he just closes in on it faster than anybody I've ever seen play, and whenever he's got that break, he could be five paces behind some dude and catch up, and you're like, yeah, he's gonna get that ball. Watch it, you know. So yeah, it's it's amazing watching him play.
0: Vincenzo Italiano had a clear plan to stop Osemen. Obviously, it didn't work, but. It looked like the plan was to have Lucas Martinez-Quarto man-mark him. And if Martinez-Quarto was occupied, then Nikola Milankovic would mark Osman, And both of those guys were playing him tight. They were not letting him turn, even if that meant fouling him. Perhaps the plan was even to try to get under his skin because they were harassing Victor in the first half. We saw Milenkovic put his knee into the back of Victor. And part of that plan was also, it seemed like, for Dragovsky to play a bit of a sweeper keeper role. I presume so that Victor would have less space to attack the ball over the top. Now, up until the penalty kick, I thought they actually did a decent job of stopping Victor. Then do you think that these three players could actually stop him for the entirety of the match or did you feel like it was only a matter of time before he broke through?
1: Yeah, I mean with his drive and his determination and just his speed and strength and all that, I, you know he's going to break through eventually and um the one thing that you touched on a little bit that I think he's starting to really gain is his maturity and when he is being harassed. So like you said, he was harassed a lot in that match, and I don't think there was a moment where you felt like, oh my God, he's going to lose his cool. He kept his cool the entire match, so that was very nice to see because he has had that before. He'll get a little bit hot-headed, and you know, we saw that at the very beginning of the season, and I'm hoping that he's really getting into the point where he understands that that's going to be something match after match. They're going to try to harass him, get under his skin like you were saying, and as long as he can keep his cool, eventually he's going to break through, which he did, and Elmas just gaffed that shot, man. (laughs) That was right where it needed to be, and Elmas just whiffed. I was in the stands, and I'm like, that is going to be the closeout goal. And what, I mean, did it go through Elmas's legs? I mean, that was crazy how he missed that.
0: Yeah, I think watching on TV, it looked like the pass might have been just a touch too heavy, so I, you would hope Mess would have got into that, but uh, I'll let him off the hook on that one. But I thought Victor also got the better of martinez Cuarta to win the penalty, so let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, what did you make of the miss and then the goal on the rebound?
1: Well, I mean, you saw how Insigne tried to put it towards the top left shelf, so I think he meant to do that, and the goalie made a good save by putting his arm up to get it. Honestly, I was on the other side of the stadium, and I couldn't really tell what was going on, and then the goal went in. I'm like, what happened? And then, you know, Chucky was able to rebound that in, so it was good that Chucky was paying attention and being able to get that rebound because um, I'll tell you what, man. If that didn't happen, like if we didn't get that goal off of that rebound, that wouldn't have been good for the match, you know? And I know Insigne... Hasn't been his best with penalties lately. I think he's missed, what, three out of five? Am I right saying that? So I'm hoping that he's not feeling the pressure. His his shot was actually a good shot. The goalie just made a good play. So hopefully he's not going to let that get to his head and he can just settle down and get those, those penalty kicks in. But, I mean, you have to think that Spalletti is thinking about maybe there's somebody else that might be an option to shoot a penalty. And... Oh, man, I don't want that to happen, man, because I don't know how Insignia would take that, man. You know what I mean? So it's a little bit worrying that he's he doesn't seem to be on point when he's shooting his penalty kicks right now. So I hope that turns around. Like I hope the very next one that he gets, he converts, and he converts well.
0: Yeah, I'm going to comment on that as well because I was actually going to ask you if you think that Spalletti should consider someone else but I do want to touch on the shot itself I think this may have been something that was seen differently watching it on TV if Insignia was going for the top corner then I would say it was probably a poor shot because he caught too much of the goal there yes Drogowski made a great save um, sticking his Mm -hmm. handle but for me watching it on TV it looked like maybe he was just looking to blast it down the middle and if that was the intent then I think it was also a poor shot because it did peel off to the left a little bit and allow dragovsky to make the save and the other thing is i think when you go down the middle first of all you have to go straight down the middle you can't catch either side of the goal and then second of all i don't know that blasting it with all your power is the right approach when you're going down the middle because you want to give the keeper time to actually dive out of the way so if you hit it too hard the keeper is still in the process of diving and that again allows dragovsky to stick his hand up I will give Insignia credit though for following up on the play. He was actually stopped again. This is the part that you probably couldn't see then, but uh, he got in there and had mm-hmm. the ball and, and Drogowski came out and stopped that before Lozano followed up and blasted the rebound into the back of the goal. And I'm sure there were some Fiorentina fans that felt like Insignia fouled Dragoski on on that follow-up. Personally, obviously I'm biased, but I thought that was a fair play on the ball. In terms of insignia's miss my initial instinct was that maybe we should try somebody else so but friend of the podcast joy Cacavale looked into this and some of the conversion rates of the popular penalty takers around europe and insignia's conversion rate is 80 percent. which again i thought okay that sounds a little bit low but let me list off some other players for you frank Hessier is at 87 percent jorginho 85 percent cristiano ronaldo 84 percent zlatan 84 percent Leo Messi, 77%. And get this, I think you might fall off your seat. But Matic Hamsik, only 64%. He only made 18 out of oh, 28 yeah. attempts. So, so when you look at those numbers, yeah, I guess yeah, yeah. 80% for Insignia is not too bad. The other issue is, I don't know who would be more successful. Then if Insignia is not playing, for example, let's say he's, he's being rested. Or, I mean, he rarely gets sent off. If he's not playing who would you have take the penalties?
1: Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, I would say from a technique standpoint, probably look at Lozano, Fabian, or maybe even Zombo. Just from a technique standpoint, you know what I mean? From a feel-the-pressure standpoint, uh, Kuti Bali would probably be the guy that I would pick first. He just seems like he's he would handle everything you know calmly he wouldn't let the emotions get to him i would never have victor shoot him he just has not matured into that type of dude yet and even from a technical standpoint i I just don't see him as a guy that can can get exactly where he wants on the ball to put it exactly where he wants in the net fabian doesn't seem to get rattled too much either uh that's a good question man um Oh, man, I could just imagine, like, we're, when they're at training, if Spalletti is, like, having dudes shoot penalty shots, what Insigne is going to say? <laughs> you know, spalletti has got to be thinking about that. He's got to be thinking about that, man, because the last thing that you want to do is penalty shots to be something that you're not strong enough in and you end up losing points because you're missing penalty shots. You know what I mean? So – you know that's in Spalletti's mind right now. And I, know, I think Politano has shot penalties in the past. And, man, he took a penalty shot this year, though. I think it was in a friendly. Man, it was weak. Like, the ball seemed to crawl towards the net. Maybe he just mishit it because he seems to be, you know, technically sound too. And I don't think that the emotions get to him too much. But, man, Joe, that's a good question, dude. You'd have to ask Spalletti that question. Without senior around. Insignia had to be off in the distance somewhere, not listening. <laughs> you mentioned Hamsik. Oh, man, I hated watching Hamsik take penalty kicks, man. Oh, my God, how many penalty kicks has he skied over the crossbar? Oh, God, he was oh, – whoo, man. I, honestly, every time Hamsik took a penalty kick, I was like, he ain't going to make it. Every single time, man. You know, I love Hamsik. That's my boy, but penalty kicks just weren't his thing for some reason. <laughs>
0: This was kind of the point of the question because I was asking myself this, and when I look at the squad, I, th- I think you just kind of, <laughs> of taking them because it's not easy to identify a clear sort of backup. I think if Mertens was playing regularly, he'd be the obvious guy, but we'll see. You know what role Mertens mm-hmm. plays on this team? I think he'll be a backup, and then I was thinking, you know, maybe Zielinski or Fabian, but I'm not sure they'd have necessarily a higher conversion rate than Insigne. Back to that battle between Osman and Vlahovic, I thought Osman was really our only threat in the first half. I think part of Italiano's game plan was to press high, and it seemed to work, at least in the first half it did. Actually, for the first 15 minutes or so, it just seemed like both sides were pressing high and both sides were forced to play long balls. (laughs) It was almost like the keepers were just passing the ball back and forth between each other. And then I thought Fiorentina (laughs) were the better side for the middle portion of that first half, and they pinned us deep in our own end, and that's when Fiorentina scored their goal. You mentioned Vlahovic got an assist, which was off a corner kick. What did you make of that goal?
1: It was a bang-bang play, and after watching the highlights, too many of our players were sitting there flat-footed, man. They were they were standing around a little bit too much, and I've noticed that a little bit with their dead ball defense, like the corner kicks and the free kicks and all that, where they're not really marking up as much as they're trying to figure out what space they want to cover, man. But, man, when that ball gets in the air, man, you got to make sure you know where every dude's at. And they weren't ready for that, and it just – it was a bang, bang play. So they need to work on that a little bit, I think. But, man, they recovered, dude. I mean, they really did. I mean, after that goal, you felt like, oh, boy, you know, is this going to be their first loss and everything. And when they came out in the second half, and you could tell at the very beginning, they're coming back. I mean, it was so obvious that Fidantino was losing. They were running out of gas because they had been running around so much in the first half, and Napoli was just – they were executing. Everything that seemed like they wanted to do, they were getting done. The first half I was like, where's Zombo, man? Is Zombo on the field? Because I don't know if he's touched the ball. I know Zombo wasn't involved very much for most of the first half, but, man, that second half, he was all over the place. So, Yeah. It was an exciting match, and I'll tell you what, man, when when of scored that goal, oh, it was hard not to freak out and get so excited sitting over there near all them viola of Tifosi, man. I was like, dude, don't yell too loud, man. But, yeah, um, it was a great match to be at. And that that stadium, whoo, man. I, so, like, the Montadonans ran down a little bit, right? You can tell it's got some years behind it. But the, uh, the renovations that have been done have, have made a big difference on appearance and just the feel and everything. Man, Frankie, whew, that place is in need of a large renovation, man. That stadium, oh, it is whew, it is old. It is ran down, and it, it felt sort of like being in a super old high school stadium, like in a, at a real big school that has like got a lot of years behind them. So it was cool to be there, man. It was awesome.
0: Yeah, I mean, we talked about outdated technology. I guess it's uh, consistent throughout. Back to the goal, I thought, you know, Fabian seemed to be complaining that there was a bit of a push-off there before Vlaovic volleyed the ball back into the area. The VAR replay wasn't really that clear, but I'm going to say that Insignia didn't foul Dragovsky on our goal, and it's hard for me to call that one a foul. And then I thought Zelinsky and Angisa got caught you know, as you alluded to, a little bit flat footed, a little bit watching and that allowed uh, Martinez Quarta to get into the space. Other than that assist, I thought we did a good job of shutting Vlahovic down. He didn't really do a whole lot else. He had a, an attempt on a scissor kick that was blocked by Anguissa and then late in the match, he had a volley that went well over the bar. Meanwhile, Osman nearly scored on a bicycle kick just before the break, which was an incredible effort. Then he had a great chance shortly after the restart, after a beautiful sort of volley pass by Insigne, but he missed the target wide to the right. And then we talked about the play where he nearly assisted Elmas, which probably would have put the game away. I thought he also did a good job helping out to defend on Fiorentina's corner kicks. He had a couple of clearances there as well. So I think... We have to say that Oseman was the better of the two on this night, at least. We've already covered the first two goals, so let's talk about the game winner a little bit. It was scored, as you said, by Amir Rahmani in the 50th minute. We scored again from a set piece, which is something I think we're all still kind of getting used to because we're not very good at, at least historically, at converting set pieces. Dan, watching this one live, were you as surprised as the rest of us were?
1: Oh, for sure, man. So I was on that side of the stadium, so I had a little bit better view of what was going on in the second half for our attacking play and everything. And uh, Insigne and Zelensky were, like, right next to each other. And I'm like, where's Where's Zelensky running off to? And then all of a sudden he comes back, and he uh, he crosses the goal in perfect. And then it was like – it seemed like the entire Fidentina defense just stood there because there was, like, three or four red shirts – I can't believe I'm saying red shirts when I'm talking about Napoli. But yeah, red shirts all around the ball. And I'm like, "Somebody going to get that ball in there, man. So, uh, I don't know what, what went on there. Viola was, uh, they were surprised by that play. They weren't really moving around at all when the when the cross came in from uh, Zelensky.
0: Yeah, you might have seen the comparisons to a set piece that Borussia Dortmund used a while back. Spalletti nope. said after the match that his technical coach, Daniela Baldini, saw Dortmund use a set piece and they discussed it amongst the coaching staff. Spalletti added that he could have used Mario Rui, mm-hmm. but it was a bit more of a surprise to use Zelensky, who we know is very good with his left foot anyways. That was Rachmani's second goal of the season. His first was in the 4-0 win over Udinese. That means this is already his most prolific season in Serie a. He never scored during his time at Hellas Verona, and then he scored his first goal in Serie a in the final match against Hellas Verona last season. Personally, I don't think Zelensky put in his best performance but the ball as you said was perfect and our friend Matt Laneva pointed out on Twitter that Ziluna has a goal and two assists in his last three matches so even if he's not necessarily having his best game he's still finding a way to contribute I want to close with Spalletti's substitutes which I thought were a little bit unusual but effective nonetheless first he replaced Lozano with Politano and Zielinski with Elmas what did you make of those changes then
1: well, those changes made sense. I felt like Lozano could have been left in a little bit longer, to be honest, just because he was having a good match. But, damn, when, when Politano came in, he um he was all over the place. They could not contain Politano. So that ended up being a really good substitution when you look down to it. And then uh, Elmas, you know, he was trying to get involved. I just feel like Elmas has just got that one thing that he needs to, to figure out to really get on the end of balls and and keep the ball at his feet when he's making his moves. And well, you could tell he's talented. So I thought the substitutions were okay. I mean, I, I know you're gonna mention the substitution with Insignia and how Insignia didn't seem to be happy when he was coming out. And I know that there's a lot of talk already from <laughs> from the T saying, you know, oh here we go, Insignia with his attitude and all that kind of stuff. Listen, man, if you're a captain in a game where you're trying to make a statement you don't want to come out <laughs> unless you're actually hurt or you feel like you're tired you don't want to come out so me honestly i'm happy that he was a little bit upset just as long as he doesn't take it to the next level you know he needs to show that that he wants to be on that pitch as the captain and as somebody to make a difference in the game so the Tifosi out there that are already getting on Insigne's case, man, they need to chill a little bit.
0: I'll come to that in just a second. I do want to touch on the first two changes. For me, I think Spalletti recognized that maybe we were a little bit too open or too vulnerable. I mean, the game was kind of going back and forth. Fiorentina started the second half pretty well, then I guess because they had that break to recharge a little bit, so they started pressing forward again. So I think... Spalletti was focusing there on protecting the lead a little bit. You know, we're away from home. It's a tough match. Politano is a better defender than Lozano, and he showed that in this match. He made a number of important tackles at the back. There was that one play where Politano and Di Lorenzo doubled up on Vlahovic and ended up winning a goal kick, and Politano and Di Lorenzo celebrated the play like they had just scored a goal, and not that I like any comparisons to Juventus, but it was kind of similar to how Chiellini and Bonucci celebrate after they make important plays at the back. I thought Di Lorenzo and Koulibaly were both beasts at the back, especially for the final 20 minutes of the match. Elmas hasn't had his best season. I completely agree with you. It just seems like something is off. Something hasn't clicked yet. And I am a little bit worried about whether that'll ever happen. You know, he's getting a decent amount of playing time, but he has the legs. He's always going to run and he's flexible so he can play in multiple positions. And we saw that with the Insignia change when Spalletti made that change he was able to move Elmas over to the left wing he moved Fabian up to the 10 and that allowed him to play Demon and Gisa in the double pivot which again I think was thinking about protecting the lead on Insignia yeah I don't want to overreact I agree with you that you know that's what you want to see you want to see that that fire you want guys that want to play all the time so that's not necessarily a bad thing I think had it not been for the incident with the racial remarks maybe this would have been a bigger story I could I was expecting the papers to be all over this and talking about Mm. Insigne is the next toti or he's not happy or contracts negotiations have stalled now or something along those lines but Mm. we didn't see any of that so I'm not going to get too concerned Spalletti did say after the match that Insigne said to him that he could have played more so Spalletti said well then he'll play him more next time then, any final thoughts on the match before I let you go?
1: No, just really happy about the results. It was nice to see them rebound immediately from that Europa League loss to get their confidence right back in tune where it needs to be. I'm just waiting for the moment when the majority of us out there are going to start to actually believe that they are the Scudetto favorites. When is that going to happen? Roma, Inter, Milan, when is that going to happen? Can you tell me that, Joe?
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you my opinion, but you're not going to like it because <laughs> I'm I'm like the most, as you know, I'm one of the most conservative people <laughs> when it comes to this topic. So for me, I'm not saying anything <laughs> until we get to the midway point of the season, until we've played every team and we've had a chance to, to really assess what we're capable of. But look, I... I I completely understand the excitement. I think this was a really important test for us. You mentioned the loss to uh, Spartak Moscow midweek in the Europa League. The odds are kind of stacked against us in this match, right? Like we we had less rest. We're playing in a tough environment away from home. We're playing against a Fiorentina team that has started the season really well under Vincenzo Italiano, despite having a Mm -hmm. difficult schedule. Like they've already played, I think, Inter and Atalanta, I want to say. Um, maybe Milan as well. It's I know it's been a tough schedule for them and they're still getting some good results. So this was a big test for us. And, you know, we passed it. But if we didn't, then I think there would be a lot of people asking questions. You know, it would have been two losses heading into the international break. That doubt starts to trickle into people's minds, maybe even to the players' minds. So yeah. for me, this was a really, really important win. I'm still not ready yeah. to call us favorites to win the Scudetto, I think, I don't know who to call favorites anymore. Maybe the, the odds are kind of getting a little bit closer. I think Milan has looked really, really good. Inter still looks good. I mean, they're finding ways to get points still. Atalanta are starting to heat up. Juve are starting to heat up, even though they haven't been all that convincing. But yeah, we're we're liking our, our chances a lot more now than we were probably at the start of the season. I mean, we're 7-0-0, right? We. Perfect heading into the
1: international I mean, break. Joe, man, how many do they need to win in a row, man? Like 11, 12, 13. How many wins you need in a row, dude?
0: I don't know if you saw the the sort of double interview with Mourinho and Spalletti after the match, but Mourinho even said to Spalletti, what are you oh, trying to I, did. I did. I did.
1: Mourinho was like, hey, man, when you are you going to stop winning, dude? Oh, I know. It's going to be the next time that you play on the road. That's when you're gonna lose, right? For those who don't know, that that awakened. I game can't wait to go to that today. game, man. Woo!
0: Yeah, that is gonna be a doozy. Anyways, Dan, that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me.
1: Hey, no problem, Joel. Always great to be on your show. Consistency, brother. I love your show. I hope you can continue to do it forever and ever and ever.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, right, we'll see Ed. i mean i'm not gonna live forever but
1: uh, we're gonna do it as long as we can, <laughs> we can uh, you man, you hey can hey you said middle of the season right is when you're going to actually like make your mind up so what if they're winter champions hmm? Hmm?
0: hey well then you know then it depends on those performances but yeah i think i'd At that point, I'll give you a shout, and I'll tell you, okay, Dan, I think we are the favorites to win the Scudetto at that point. Ah.
1: (laughs) That game against Milan, too. I think that's what, on the 19th of December? That's going to be a huge match, too, man. Ooh, boy. They got three hard road matches, man. They got Roma, Inter, and Milan. Tell me this. Out of those three matches, Roma, Inter, and Milan... How many points do they need out of those three matches to make you believe?
0: Not that many, to be honest. I, I think if we can continue to win all the other games, I'd probably be content with four points out of the nine, like a basically win, draw and lose one. It'd be unrealistic. We're, we can't sit here expecting to have a perfect season. You know, you're going to draw points somewhere along the road that's a really tough stretch. And that's why I'm not really committing until we get through that stretch because, you know, we've started the season with a lighter schedule and and then we have that stretch in both halves of the season. We have a stretch where we play a lot of good teams in a short period of time. We'll see how playing midweek in the Europa league affects some of that as well. So, yeah, I mean, it, four, four to six points out of those, uh, out of those three games. And I'd be feeling pretty good. I would say.
1: And hey, man, you know, you know, Deme's back. Uh, you know Cheeto is getting in there now? Uh, you know, like, they're getting full of brown, Joe. They're getting full of brown, man. By the time that Milan match come, as long as we got any injuries, man, Milan going to be scared. They're going to be scared of the Blue Beats. <laughs> <laughs> <Well,
0: laughs> I don't know if you're trying to get me to admit it right here on this podcast, but it's not going to happen. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> no, but man, like- I'm just playing with you,
1: dude. All yep. right,
0: Dan, I'm going to let you go. You can find Dan on Twitter at Azzurro Bowen. You can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti five, or you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forza Napoli pod. I'll be back with another episode, hopefully in a couple of days. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre.
1: Sai do sai know, I don't 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 know, I do Network.